behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey, and we are here with episode twenty freaking nine. Casey, what's the rhyme? I'm feeling friggin' fine. Does that rhyme? Twenty nine. That totally fine? works. Or what about drop a dime on? our patreon or two dollars a month same thing but you could literally support us for two dollars a month go to patreon.com slash behavior bitches podcast yes. um, you can find us there you can find us on instagram killing it at behavior bitches podcast or on facebook behavior bitches podcast or our website every time i say the website i'm excited it's behavior and it's only getting better by the day so, and Rosie and Alan, if you're listening, which I'm sure Alan, you're probably not listening, but Rosie, I'm sure you're listening. Um, Alan, her husband is the one that helped us with the website. And we did send you guys a, um, a little reinforcement to your favorite restaurant. And I hope you got the email. If not, you'll hear it here on the podcast. So go have dinner on us because we are forever grateful for your help. And I think it's sitting at the restaurant waiting for them. It is. Okay. So just go there and know that your meal is covered. Thank you. That's our reinforcement for you. Guys, we love hearing feedback from you guys, whether it be constructive criticism or um, just some positive reinforcement. It means so much. So we do have a Apple iPod review today. iPod. No. Apple iPods are like dead, girl. <laughs> That's no a dork in me. <laughs> All right. So this is from, um, let's see. It is... Someone on their iPod mini left us a review. Thanks <laughs> Thank so much. You. And I someone on the iPod shuffle. Oh, shuffle was the, the jam. That little one, dude. You can't even. Oh, know I had a play. green one. I love. It that. was like a variable schedule. You never know what the f is going <laughs> to come out. Like, oh, technology. yeah. Okay. All right. Anyways, guys. So it's by AAU Claire One. Also, guys, when we call you out on the review, not call you out, but read your review, send us a message because we love knowing that you listened. And last episode, the girl reached out. It was super sweet. So. All right. Repeat offender is the title. Hi, Leon and Casey. I have 12 years experience working in ABA with children with ASD. I thought I knew a lot. However, after tempting the beast a few times with no avail, I have been humbled. I found myself pigeonholed into one small area of ABA. And when taking the test, I realized that one area isn't all they test you on. Listening to the two of you use terms frequently and functionally has helped me so much. I've Woo! spent thousands of dollars on exam prep materials, but never got as much out of them as I have listening to real-life examples of behavioral principles. I am actually excited to sit this month. Extremely grateful, Angela. Amen. I am so happy that we've fired up you to be excited about this exam because it shouldn't be aversive. And if you shift your mindset and think of it in these real-life principles that we try to bring to you guys every week with fun um, we topics. We do bring it every week. No offense. We do, Casey. Don't I don't want to correct you on the spot, but... We have been doing it every damn week. Can you believe that? How did this happen? <laughs> I mean, I think it's formed a habit at this point after 21 times. I mean, it's usually 21 days for a habit, but like it's 21 oh, right. days kind of. I mean, whatever. Like we make this happen. So thank I just want to let you guys know that I accidentally scheduled this trainer I have to work out with today. And she's she does this thing to like hold you into the contingency. Like if you cannot make it, you still have to pay. I was like, I'm doing a podcast. She's like, can you treat our training sessions like your podcast? Because <laughs> so I literally just paid her to do it. Um, and I'm here with you guys. I mean, I'm not mad that I'm not working out. It wasn't intuitive. You'll get what I mean. Um, anyways, let's get started. Today's episode, I'm really excited because we have a guest who I absolutely adore. And 
whenever I talk to her, I feel so zen. She's so cool. Um, my great friend, I got to live with her for a year. And when I tell you all about her, you're going to be jealous that I got to live with her for a year. Um, and our guest today is Yael Gudin. She is a professional plant-based chef. And yeah, she was in vegan culinary school when we lived together. So I got to sample everything. And certified life coach who's now pursuing her master's degree in nutrition from the Natural University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. That is the most fitting place for her. I'm so happy she's found her right environment. Yael believes we each possess the inherent wisdom necessary to take or to take responsibility for our own health and well-being. She empowers her clients to reconnect with their intuition, listen to their bodies, and find a more joyful and enriching relationship with food so they can stop looking outside of themselves for how to honor their wellness needs and instead becoming their own best health advocates. Let me add in a little um, informal introduction for Yael. Yael is cool AF. She like looks really cool. In case you guys want to imagine, I'll post a pic of her. She has like this little nose ring. She's all natural. I mean, this girl legit makes her own cashew milk. Um, I mean, like if she's out of milk, please follow her on her Instagram at, what is it? Empowered Plate? Empowered Palette. And Oh my God. Empowered Palette. And that is def going to be in the show notes. Yael, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm super stoked. Pleasure. Love to have you here, Yael. It's <laughs> like I finally get to hang out with you. <laughs> um, Yael and I lived together in Austin. It was perfect. I actually lived with Yael's sister, Talia, in University of Maryland in college. And then I was moving to Austin after to follow a boyfriend I didn't end up with. And old days, right, Yael? Old days. Good times. Yeah. And she, Talia's like, my sister's moving there. You should totally live with her. And I thought I was going to be living with this sorority chick, and she was not. Let me tell you, she is like an earthy vegan. If I accidentally didn't recycle something, you would think the world was going to end. Um, and she would like catch me eating like Twizzlers and stuff and be like, Leah, why don't you have a healthy alternative? Let me cook you up some. I don't even know what she would make. I mean, these smoothie bowls she'd make in the morning. But I got access to all of this because I was living with her. I mean, it was the coolest year of my life. Liat did have to hide her candy from me, though, and eat it in her car. <laughs> I, like, would have bags of Twizzlers. <laughs> are Twizzlers kosher? Yes. Good question. They are kosher, or else I wouldn't be representing them, okay? I they are. I just want to double check, keep you on track, hold you accountable. Thank you so much. So for today's episode, I think it's really interesting. Um, and yeah, did I miss anything about you before I keep going? No, I think I think you got most of it. You summed me up well. You could find Yael in a local Whole Foods. You could find her in a <laughs> yoga class. You could find her. Where else can we find you? Um, farmers like market. Buying, farmers market, buying crystals. Basically, yeah, look up um, someone from Portland, and I think you could find Yael. <laughs> right? But she just moved there actually for school. She was in Austin before, which is also keeping yeah. it weird. So she's across the board. Yeah, Elle is so cool. All right. Now for today's topic, I think it's really interesting. And I dropped the subject to Casey and Casey seemed excited AF about it too. Um, because I know there's a lot of talk about it. And a lot of people I think don't know what it is. And today we're going to be talking about intuitive eating. And the behavioral principles we'll cover today are deprivation versus satiation. Food as a reinforcer, MOs, unconditioned reinforcers, maintenance, operant behavior, self-management, 
and response effort. So, Yael, can you tell us what the hell is intuitive eating? Based on what it sounds like, I was like, I'm into this, but tell us all about it. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. It's kind of like a, a hot topic right now that a lot of people might hear and not know specifically what it is. So to break it down, intuitive eating is a nonlinear approach to health and food and your overall well-being where the fundamental belief is that you are the expert of your own body. And so in the traditional health realm where we're constantly told to look outside of ourselves at the latest, you know, health trends and gurus and food rules, what's good for you, what's bad for you. Intuitive eating asks that you actually just tune in to the unique messages your body sends you and determine what is best for your health based on what you feel in your own body. So it's going to be different for every single person. And again, because you are the expert of your own body, nobody can decide better than you what you really need. Um, it's also a, a system that really helps restore a more empowered, enjoyable, and peaceful relationship with food and your body, as opposed to having you work against and fight your body all the time. And guys, this is, if you think about this, this is like private events, right? This is what happens inside your own skin, your own verbal behavior, um, what you tell yourself, what you are thinking in your head. Um, to relate it back behaviorally a little bit more is like this, these are things that are happening right in your own skin and you need to pay attention to them. Exactly. So wait, I like, like this. Can we eat whatever we want if you do intuitive eating? Like, so I could have those Twizzlers now. Would you give them back to me now? Or? I, would, I would actually allow you to have those Twizzlers now. And there's an interesting reason why, because intuitive eating believes that when you put foods off limits, like when you create hard rules about what you can and can't have, what's happening on a, on a instinctual level is that you're just actually creating a stronger desire to have that food, right? It's like the classic kid with a cookie jar situation. Like what happens when mom leaves and the cookie jar is now unguarded, right? Like the kids will try to eat as many as possible in order to like load up before mom gets back. Um, so with the Twizzlers, I feel I was like, like you a hundred percent, I'd be like, yeah, Elle's gone. Hell yeah. Bust out the Twizzlers <laughs> I and, was mom. and the Sour Patch Kids. You were in totally. an establishing operation, Leah, right? You exactly. were like, that right. motivation, the value increased so much for those things because you weren't allowed to have them. It's like right. when you As go opposed, all week and say, like oh, to just, oops, no, it's okay. Letting you have access to the Twizzlers and eat them whenever you want without making like a rule around it, then maybe you wouldn't have felt the need to like, you know, load up on your car when I was away for the weekend. Exactly. Well, I also like that's a common state of behavior. Like we could put this behaviorally into deprivation, right? When you deprive yourself of something, then how much more do you want it, right? Like you're like, I can't be having this now. That's all I want, right? I mean, that's how it works. I mean, it's even as simple as like, don't think of a pink elephant. Now, don't you want the pink elephant to think in your head? Um, so like, I, I see how this works. Also, I assume when you're trying to stick to all these diets and like you create these contingencies of like, I'm only going to reward myself when I do this for how many days? I mean, Casey, what's one of the, I feel like you've done like whole 30. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've done probably everything. Um, and whole 30, I actually thought was 
um, pretty good to just figure out if you had any sensitivities. And I don't know if um, that is something that you see, but like eliminating like the top kind of things from your diet just to see if it does affect you, right? Um, and then slowly reintroducing it. I like that style, but again, um, you are you're limiting yourself. So you can't have carbs, can't have gluten. So then guess what? All you freaking want is a pizza, right? Like you're yeah. like, I can't have it. Like, oh my God. Right. Versus that open flexibility or the psychology, the psychological flexibility of being like, I can have it if I want it. Does it serve my body right now? Is it going to make me feel good? Do I know the consequence of when I eat pizza, I feel sluggish. I may um, have, you know, some diet, you know, some potty issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I like, I love this. This is great. And I'm just curious, Casey, like when you went off the whole 30, what, what happened in your relationship with those foods that were then off limits? So I think like my biggest takeaway from that was that, um, putting food in your body, that's going to actually energize you mm-hmm. and make you feel good. Um, so fueling your body with, um, food that is going to produce energy, right? So you and didn't so go much- back to eating pizza? No, I love, I literally eat pizza every okay, single day Okay, that's the point life. I think that I was trying to get to. I think, yeah, I was oh, trying no, to no, get no. to. Like, well, yeah. both. I, I love that what you said because, so, and to answer your question from earlier, earlier, Liat, like a lot of people think, okay, if I, if I ditched the diet mentality, which I'll name as the first principle of intuitive eating is stepping away actually from those diets, from the strict rules about what's quote unquote good or bad for you. And instead, giving yourself permission to include all different types of foods in your life in a way that promotes balance and, um, you know, just variety in general. So to, to answer the question, can I eat whatever I want? It's like, yeah, you can. You can eat whatever you want. But if you truly are in tune with yourself and listening to your body, as you said, Casey, I would, I would imagine, and I've experienced, and I know a lot of people I work with have experienced that you do want to eat more foods that make you feel good. Because when you are connected to how you feel after certain foods, you're less likely to just eat, you know, foods that drain that energy or that make you feel really tired. Sure. You're going to eat them sometimes, but I think people have this idea that like, if I didn't have this super intense discipline on what I ate, I would just like you know, stock up on French fries and Twizzlers all day. And I think we need to give ourselves more credit than that. Wait, yeah, I have a question. Yeah. This is a serious question. So Yael was like the vegan queen. Um, Does this mean if your body is telling you that you need a milkshake now, you'll drink it? (laughs) I think I would. I mean, I still hold certain ethical beliefs around veganism. So I would go for a vegan milkshake. But Guys, really let's reveal a secret. One time, Yael got oh, God, drunk. I... She's like, this is like literally the most more. This is like me telling everyone that she like slept with seventy three people in one night. But like for Yael's standards, she got really drunk, and I had ice cream in the in the freezer. Like I had like a full. Like it was also like not just like a Ben and Jerry size. It was like a devil size one because it was like H E B brand or something. <laughs> and I come the next morning, and it's completely gone. And I'm like, huh? And I'm like, yeah, did you eat this? She's like, no. I'm like, yeah, we're the only ones in here. Like, it was not me last night. Like, did you eat this? And you're like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. I don't remember. Like, I was so drunk. And I'm like, you ate this. And she was like freaking out and like could not believe she had had dairy. But obviously her intuition was telling her that she needed that ice cream right then. Well, it's actually interesting that you bring that up because 
you know, what is, what is one thing that alcohol is famous for, right? It like it releases our inhibitions. Right. So clearly I was feeling deprived of like ice cream or whatever it is, something sweet. And so as soon as I removed those inhibitions, I felt the compulsive need to eat the entire um, gallon of ice cream. I'm happy. I'm happy you went all out. Like if you're going to break something, like do it right. (laughs) You know, like not like a chocolate chip. Totally. No, not like a single chocolate chip. But that's another thing about intuitive eating is that a lot of people like kind of swing back and forth from these extremes of being really strict with their diet and then kind of saying, ah, like, fuck it. I'm just, I broke the diet. I'm going to go all out and eat all my favorite things and maybe eat more of them than I really want to. Um, But it's that mentality of going between extremes that actually creates a lot of shame and guilt around food rather than just like, you know, like enjoying all the different types of foods you're craving in in smaller doses or in moderation and legalizing them in your day-to-day life. So you don't feel the need to like eat the gallon of ice cream. You can just have, you know, a serving at a time. <laughs> yeah, I was like, week, you revealed right? my biggest secret. Biggest <laughs> secret. You exposed me. So embarrassed right now. It's one of those things like I found myself doing a lot. Um, I'll go all week. I'll fast like, you know, till like four o'clock in the afternoon and then, you know, eat a really healthy dinner. And then Friday comes and it's like, gung-ho pizza sushi uh chinese food like wherever wings blue cheese like come on bring it on because i was good all week and i think about and you could probably you're the expert but what that does to your metabolism mm-hmm. i mean it has to affect it you're not neutral neutralizing or giving nutrients to your body totally yeah and so what happens and it's interesting that you know you all speak so much about like deprivation and I'm curious to hear the connection, but like when you, when you go through that process of whether it's fasting or just restricting your calories in some way, even if you don't think you're restricting your calories, but to your body, like your body doesn't actually know if that's intentional that you're on a diet or you're trying out some new fasting trend, or if you're literally like experiencing food insecurity or a famine. So on the weekend, as soon as you are around abundance with food or as soon as you like loosen the reins on the tight grip of your eating habits, your body is also kicking up your cravings, your hunger hormones, your metabolism to try to compensate for that missed um, caloric energy that you missed out on. So again, it's like, it's not even something that we're consciously doing, but as soon as your body believes that you're that you have access to food again, it will send you into overdrive to try to make up for that loss. And this that would be sense. phylogenic, would it not? In terms of Casey, in terms of, am I using it's that un- right? Yeah, it's an unlearned, like it's unlearned But I think a problem is that we need to remember also, just talking behaviorally for a second, it, remember food is food, water, oxygen, sex, sex. jinx, sleep, <laughs> we both, Of course we both say that sleep, one. Sleep, activity. Um, these are all unconditioned reinforcers. Like you are born from day one. No one has to teach you these things are valuable to you, right? Like you are born um, from day one saying, okay, this is like, this is something that I like, right? It maintains your behavior. If you cried and you got food, wow, I'm going to cry more. I'm going to get food again. So this happens. But what we've set up is, and this is something that we naturally need. We've created this idea that food should be our like reinforcer for doing something like, oh yeah, I, um, I, I 
starved I went myself to the gym for today. Yeah, I went to the gym today. Now I get to eat, right? Or like I starved myself six days out of the week. Now I can go ham and put every single thing that I like could have spread out across the entire week into one weekend or, you know, and I think that like, I think that maybe society has also shaped the way that we look at food, whereas it should be something that is like, you need, this is a human need. Survival. These are like primary. Yeah. These are primary and unconditioned reinforcers. You need it. And we're looking at it as that's our reward, right? Like how many people are like, I mean, I remember just, yeah, well, I'm sorry. I mean, not, I'm sorry. I meant, I'm sure you remember, and Yael's also going to be embarrassed I mentioned this, but your sorority days back before you were this hippie chick, like you always were this girl at heart, but I'm saying, I remember even talking about it with you, like how many girls would yeah. go the entire week, not eating anything just so they could get super drunk on like, and go, what was it? Big slice. Yeah. Oh yeah. The jumbo slice. Yeah. By, by, um, the bars after oh, yeah. just to, like, yeah, they go all week, not eating. Yeah. I mean, but this is what's normal and it's normalized and it's reinforced and you look hotter in that skirt you're wearing to go out to the bars that night or whatever it is, but, or that's how they feel. And I just think that people are using food as a reinforcer when it's like something that they need to work for, where it should be something that they have in their natural everyday life. Totally. Like how often, you know, it's so normalized. Like how often do you hear people say, I need to burn this off or I need to like work out so that I can go to brunch. Even here in like fitness classes, a lot of fitness instructors will use terms like, you know, burn it to earn it. And it's just like, do you say like, something, Yell? I actually do because I obviously am very strongly opinionated about this. And it's really harmful because not everybody is there to like earn their food. And, and why can't we just enjoy moving our bodies without feeling like we need to compensate for food? It's like, I don't ever have to think about needing to compensate so that I can take a breath or like use oxygen, which is another just physiological need. But why is there all of this language around food as if it's something we need to earn when it's like your body just requires food and you don't need to earn or compensate for your food in any way. And that mentality is what's so damaging, not even really the food itself. Um, I, I love this. So this is not a weight loss strategy. It is not a weight loss strategy. Absolutely not. What would you describe it as? A lifestyle? Yes. I would describe it as it, it, I I want to say lifestyle, even though I don't love that term. It's just a new mentality or a new approach to being in your body, you know? So I have also seen as intuitive eating has become trendier, like people advocating intuitive eating as like the diet where you don't diet. Um, and that's so counterproductive to the point of intuitive <laughs> eating because it's not a diet. Um, and in fact, you cannot practice intuitive eating while also trying to control or intentionally lose weight. Because as long as you're doing that, as long as you are so trying to- you can't to, do it with Weight Watchers, for example. No. Like you, you can't. like even though they say with Weight Watchers, you can eat whatever you want. But as, you, yeah, as long as you're following externalized rules about what you should be eating and tracking your numbers and, and having fear around going past a certain point, you'll never be able to actually tune into your body to tell you how much food you really need to feel satisfied. 
So intuitive eating separates out weight from your health and, and really believes that you can be healthy and you can focus on just practicing health behaviors without feeling the need to control your weight and that your weight actually is not indicative of your health status. Can you talk that about- That is so um, true. I'm reading some things that she sent. Um, yeah. The body diversity and like the notion that we all have unique genetic blueprints and the idea around like a set, set weight point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we all, there are several things that impact a person's weight, but really it comes down to like your genes, your environment, um, and, and your lifestyle, right? So we think that we have, we, we tend to think that weight is something that we have a lot of control over and that we can change our weight at any point that we decide to. And that, and anybody who's been on a diet before, knows that that's not actually, it's not actually that simple. It's not like you just do the diet, you lose weight, and then you never look back. In fact, you know, what tends to happen as soon as you go off the diet, if either of you like feel comfortable whoop, sharing? Whoop, whoop, whoop. You gain it all back. It, Guess it comes what? back. And you know what? Like yeah. in the scale fluctuates so much too. You could wake up in the morning having not eaten anything and weigh a certain weight. And then in the afternoon, you go weigh yourself and you are seven pounds heavier. Or you, you know, haven't Peter pooped yet, so you're this much. Like the number totally. on the scale. I mean, again, it's focusing on what makes you healthy. Right, right, and like the reason that number goes back, or the reason you know your weight comes back, um, and in fact, there are studies that show that in only like less than five percent of people can sustain intentional weight loss after a period of dieting, meaning that ninety-five percent of the time. And after a period of one to three years post-diet, you're going to gain that weight back. And the reason why is because your body wants to be at a state of homeostasis, which means that it's keeping things at, you know, your, your internal set point of what is a normal and healthy weight for you. And that number is different for different people based off of your metabolism, your genes, your culture, so many lifestyle factors. So it's not that simple to just think, oh, I've you know, I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to lose this weight, and it's just going to stay off. Your body has so many complex mechanisms and pathways to actually restore that weight that it wants you to be at. And there's a reason it wants you to be at that weight. And that weight is different person to person. So, you know, if you think that just adopting your favorite, like, Instagram influencers diet and nutrition and fitness habits is going to allow you to have that person's body, it's just not because you have a completely different DNA um, blueprint than them. Right. And I think it's interesting because first of all, like in ABA, how we have to have like an individualized plan for every person based on their needs, whatever it is. But that, and also it, it makes me think of when we talk about validity and as we know, validity is the idea is something like, measuring the relevant dimension that you intended to measure. So, right. So like, I might be like, oh my God, she is so healthy. She's so skinny, right? Like I'm thinking that there by her body looking a certain way that that indicates that she's healthy, but that's not really a valid measurement, right? Like that's not valid. If I'm measuring someone's like level of health, however you plan on measuring it, it wouldn't be their skinny. Like when I think about it after I was hospitalized and so sick, I lost 25 pounds. I felt sexier than ever, but I was at my most unhealthy point in my entire life. I mean, you know, like everything was wrong with me. And so, you know, to try measure like, oh, she must be healthy. She lost 25 pounds. She's so on her shit, right? Like 
little did they know my fingers are falling off in the background or whatever's going on that I'm, or I had C diff or, you know, like your body is completely out of whack at that point. So I think like, Mm -hmm. that's an interesting site on validity in terms of what we think measures health or what we think measures someone having their life together or, you know, and it's not actually that at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we live in this culture that prioritizes and validates thinness over any other measure um, as as far as indicating your moral character and also your health status, when really the two are, are, are not as connected as we think. And I think you put that so well, Liat. Like I think we all know someone who's just naturally thin and eats whatever they want and never goes like to the Like your sister could look like that. <laughs> My sister's tiny too, actually. But like yeah. – yeah, Elle's sister literally like was a model. She is so beautiful and like literally, I mean, she does eat healthy, but I do think like even if she, I, I mean, in college, never mind. No, she used to like eat full cakes drunk at night and like. Wait, like and, we all know that person that's just like, they're naturally thin, but we we can't wrap our mind around the fact that some people the same way are naturally exactly. just have a larger body and it's not anything to do. They could be a much healthier eater and they might have a way more, um, you know, regular exercise routine. And it just doesn't, it doesn't mean that their body will change, but you can't look at somebody and know what their health status is. You can't tell what their like metabolic markers of health are or how off, you know, how strong they are. We just can't tell. I just want to read something that I pulled off your Instagram, which I love. Sure. Yeah. Um, an intuitive eating tip. Okay, guys. Casey does our stocking for us. Anything deeper than base level that you provide us, Casey will find. I'm like, <laughs> I, I think I should have been a private investigator in my past life. Hashtag stalker. Um, anyways, actually just reviewing the records. Like you had have to do an assessment, right, Liat? I'm just reviewing the records. Damn All right. right. So she says, um, order the salad if that's what you want, what you're craving in the moment. But don't consistently order the salad because you think you should or you think that's a good choice, right? So like you're saying, if you feel like it in the moment and you want to do it, but don't do it based on, oh, I have to have a salad, right? That's part of the diet. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of talking about MOs, Casey, if you know what I mean. In the moment, right? Yeah, like you maybe. have certain things that in one moment, what are MOs, right? MOs are when we talk about kind of the background information that either increases or decreases the value of a certain reinforcer or punisher in that moment. What do I mean? Okay. So let's say like my body is in a state of deprivation of having anything healthy in a while. Like I've just been on an, uh, at a tailgate all day eating crap in my body. That's the background information, right? So in that moment, that's the MO, right? Like a salad or something's an establishing operation for me. My body's wanting that, right? So that's what I'm going to have right then. But on another day, sometimes I just crave a freaking hamburger to bite into, right? Like that's what I want at the time. Obviously a vegan one, yeah, never real meat. Moo. Um, <laughs> um, but You'd in that moment. Allowed, Liat. What? You'd still be allowed. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, Elle's really changed, guys. <laughs> um, I used to like cook salmon in privacy. Like I like <laughs> I'd be like, she's gone. Everyone, like, let's make it. AJ, we come to my house tonight. Um, and but one thing talking about like MOs and what's valuable in that moment, like one moment, this could be valuable, but the next hour something else can. And 
I think a really prime example, and tell me if this would be intuitive. To me, it seems that way. Yeah. But so when I initially didn't know what was going on with my hands and I was in hospital and it was a result of not having any circulation, when my fingers started freezing off and they were like going from purple to black to whatever it was, people would say like, what can I bring to her in the hospital? What can I bring? What can I bring? And the only thing I wanted was watermelon. And I like watermelon, but like in no way is that something like I typically crave or I I want or like I need just watermelon. And that was the only thing I wanted at the time. And like I literally ate like probably like two watermelons a day, like just cut up and and you know, a few months post like my amputation surgery, someone sent me an article from the Harvard um business review or um Harvard business or I don't know, my brain's going blank right now, but um it was essentially about like the circulation properties of blood circulation properties of watermelon and how like they actually like sometimes recommend it as a replacement for Viagra, which I actually take now um, as a medication three times a day. And no, I don't have erections because its original use was for <laughs> blood circulation. But anyways, like my body was telling me, Leah, you want watermelon, you want watermelon. Now do I crave it? No. Um, but that's all I wanted at the time. And I found that so fascinating. That's totally intuitive. And and again, it's like you didn't even mentally understand why you were craving watermelon at the time, but there's this inherent wisdom that your body has to to know what it needs, especially in a in a situation where there's something out of balance. So, you know, it's ironic because diet culture, the system or like the system that exists that really promotes dieting as the way to health really demonizes cravings and tells us that our cravings are something to ignore or that, you know, we need to fight or overcome our cravings. But in your case, Liat, like your craving was telling you the exact thing that you really needed and that was going to really benefit your body. So you listening to that and you giving your body what it needed was the best thing you could do for yourself at that time and probably had a really positive impact on your blood circulation at the time. I'm hashtag intuitive AF. Like you didn't lose <laughs> all 10 fingers. You only yeah, lost maybe, three. So like yeah, you're maybe lucky. I save, yeah, maybe I <laughs> saved the rest or my toes. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Let's okay. go into how will I, okay. I'm right now sitting here going, please tell me some behavior tips, some, how do I start? What do I do? What are some things to think about to start being more of an intuitive eater? Yeah. So I think the number one way to start practicing intuitive eating is to just begin to notice when you make decisions about what you're going to eat, what are the factors that are coming into play that that come up for you as you're making that decision? So as we talked about, if you're sitting down at a restaurant and you immediately think, okay, what's the, you know, quote unquote healthiest or like lowest calorie option? That's what I should order. Notice that. Especially and then, now, sorry. Especially now because everywhere yeah. you go, there's like, it's 310 calories. It's I, 620. I hate yeah. that. Like Even if I want smoothie the pound bars. Cake, Yes. Right. Well, like I want smoothie bars. I'm like, oh my God, I'm here. I'm trying to choose a healthy option and they're still shooting me in the face with the calories. Right. So just like, honestly, order water. I, I don't, I don't order really water. just order the water. No, I think that as soon as you bring in that number or that like external measurement of a food, it inhibits your ability to actually check in with yourself and ask yourself what you feel like eating. So trading the rules about what you should be eating, what you think would be a good choice, and actually just start to feel into what you're craving, um, what you feel like eating. And instead of thinking about, you know, how healthy this meal 
is or what the calorie content is, ask yourself, how do I want to feel after eating this? Or what value do I want to honor right now with this food decision? Um, so really just starting to bring it to a more internal place that you're deciding for yourself what you want to eat instead of allowing some externalized message or voice tell you what you should order. Um, the next thing I would recommend for somebody who wants to start intuitive eating, which is something you can do today, is to start to get curious about the way that your body communicates with you, in a unique, which is unique to you. So how do you know you're hungry? And what are the ways in which your body lets you know that you're hungry? How do you know when you're full? And what are the cues that your body sends you to let you know that you've had enough to eat? Start to, to build awareness of these different cues so that you can build that sense of trust in your own body. And you don't need to just look up what is a proper portion size for this food, but rather how much of this food do I actually need until I'm satisfied? Um, and also that. just to start responding to your hunk. Like the, the most basic intuitive eating recommendation I can make is just to honor your hunger, which is another of the principles of intuitive eating. So when you feel hungry, instead of like questioning yourself or asking yourself if it's like okay to eat or if you can justify it in some way, like what if you just gave yourself permission to eat and then you just moved on with your day? And what would that change for you? It's allowing yourself to be where you are, right? No matter what it may be, what you may be feeling. Um, and checking in with yourself is a really hard being. It's You really got to be true and honest with yourself to be able to do this. Um, and Absolutely. versus like, you know, comparing yourself to whether it be something you're seeing on social media or what you think that you should be doing or what your friend is doing for this like, week. I diet. feel like I should like green juice and I just effing don't. Okay. Like I really don't like kale drinks. Okay. Or smoothie bowls for that. So yeah, I really, what I prefer and I've learned this throughout my body, <laughs> I don't love like, uh, a, a yogurt based um, smoothie or a milk based. Like I like when I drink something healthy, I'm doing air quotes here. I want like this tart juice of like beets, lemon, grapefruit, ginger, like that type. And I could You're probably a pitta. Up. She's a pitta. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Are you Vedic? Love that. That's yeah. a whole other episode we should do. Um, but those things I know, right? Because of, and I try to force myself because smoothie bowls are so all the fad and like they look so pretty with the acai color and the granola and the right. and they look flakes. so good on my Instagram feed. But you know what? It's like, what if I told you that you never had to drink a kale juice if you didn't want to? Or like, right. you, like nobody's forcing you to drink the milky smoothie the kool-aid like, you don't have to do it and you know the, no the but there is a thing of guilt yeah. okay like I could yeah. tell you as someone having health issues it's like I mean when I was in Austin I literally paid like a MD natural naturopathic like doctor to like tell me exactly what to do right and it's like you need to be drinking bone broth it made me feel weird I didn't like it it was gross like but like when you are in certain situations you're like okay I'm unhealthy. I just need to listen. Right. Like, mm -hmm. so, and especially like in those situations, that's also an MO, like things are really valuable to you. So you listen, right. Or like everyone saying like now drink celery juice, right. Celery juice yeah. is on a hot it's a trend. It's the trend. Yeah. It's trendy right now. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you have, so then you have that and you're like, okay, I should be healthy now, or I'm doing this because of this. But Whereas, or 
personally, I like to order fruit smoothies, right? But then there's all these things of like, it should be like, you should be getting veggies in your smoothie. You should be doing this and this. And then like, I order this drink and I effing hate it. Okay. Like I shouldn't be having to like take shots of a smoothie to try gulp it down. Right. Like I, um, and I just feel like these behaviors are essentially just reinforced or like doing these certain things are reinforced even by like seeing someone get so many likes on Instagram about it. They're like, oh, they did that. And like, they look good and this and that. So you do it. And like, we buy into these ideas that that's what we should like too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I do believe that there are people out there who are experts in nutrition and, you know, these different medical paradigms, but Somebody having a lot of Instagram followers does not necessarily mean that they know what's best for your body. That's um, not a valid measure either, guys. That's another right? example of invalid measurement. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, you know, I do believe that there is merit to some of these like health trends or these different things that are being promoted now. Sure. But 100%, you should always experiment and try something on for yourself and then decide for yourself if it works for you. Don't take anything, even sometimes what your doctor is telling you. Like nobody knows more about your body and what something feels like in your own experience than you do. So with intuitive eating, it's like you have to develop that strong internal compass so that you know when something sits right. Because you know, I use this example all the time, but like something like broccoli, for example, is generally considered a healthy food, right? So it's like, maybe you think I need to be eating more broccoli or like, even if I don't like the taste of broccoli, it's healthy. I should be eating it. Some, some people may eat broccoli and get horrible gas or a terrible stomach ache and like not be able to function because they're so bloated for the rest of the day. For that person, maybe broccoli is actually not a healthy choice and maybe they can find another vegetable that works for them. So if their doctor is recommending them to eat more broccoli, it's just not going to be the thing for them. Or so when not... you have a parent, sorry to interrupt you, but oh, like, totally. I see this all the time. They're like, I want my kid to eat broccoli. So I'm going to cover it in cheese and they're going <laughs> to eat it. And it's like, that defeats the purpose completely yeah. because then they're not enjoying or intuitively enjoying the broccoli, right? right? And then they also will have an association for the rest of their lives with like broccoli being this thing to be avoided at all costs. Mm -hmm. Instead, maybe find a vegetable that they actually just enjoy or like a way to, uh, to have them eat more nutritious foods without trying to trick or force them. Now, I have one other thing. I don't know if this is about intuitive eating, but this is just about me. And I look at it behaviorally in terms of response effort. Um, which response effort is exactly what it sounds like. Your response takes a lot of effort. So like you would always amaze me when we lived together. Like you'd be like filtering your own water system, making your own milk to put on top of your like veggie or your like oats in the morning or like your chia wet puddings. I don't even know. And I'm like, <laughs> this chick is so not lazy. Like it amazes me. Like, so like I – what do you recommend doing? Because I find a problem also why – okay, this is – I know this is maybe not intuitive, but like why it's easier to eat unhealthy, for example, or like maybe you're not even listening to yourself intuitively because you're honestly doing what is easier at the moment. And like the easy options are like – have you ever gone on a road trip and like tried eating healthy along the way? It's really like, hard. 
it's like, oh my God, I'm going to try to be healthy. I'm going to get plain potato chips, right? Like, or I'm going to get this bar that is essentially filled with so much crap or whatever it is, because it's a matter of response effort too. Like you, I remember actually you went away with people somewhere. It's like some music festival or something. We were in Austin and like you packed all this food <laughs> and like, that seems like so much effort to me that I feel like it also does make, like, I don't know if I'm necessarily listening to my intuition or I'm just like doing what's easier. Yeah. Well, I think that is a really good point. And it, it still is intuitive because when we make certain decisions about what we eat, we're always weighing our values against each other. So in the moment, if you like, what are you going to value with the decisions that you make around food? So are you valuing convenience and ease? Or are you on another situation or another day valuing like feeling good in your body or feeling oh, like one day is it spontaneity and then the next day it's like integrity because you told yourself you were going to, you know, eat a certain way. And so it's okay for those values to change on a day-to-day -day basis and you always need to check in with yourself again to figure out like what am I, what value am I honoring with this decision around my food? Um also, it's like we all just have we, – we all have different values and different priorities. And, you know, I'm a chef. I'm somebody who loves to cook. So I know you would always say, like, you're so not lazy. I actually think it's fun to make my own cashew milk and I enjoy the taste. If you don't, it's okay not to do all those things. But can you find – you know, can you still find balance and challenge yourself to – maybe step out of your comfort zone a little bit if you do prioritize your health and if you do want to take care of your body without it being like a chore. Because if it's a chore, you're just not going to do it ever. Or stick to it, right? Or There's stick no, to it. There'd be no maintenance program for you if you're not enjoying it. If it's not something right. that, like again, something you had mentioned was, um, you know, the dreading going to the gym, like, oh my God, I have to go to this thing because this is you know, I need to move my body today. Like, why don't you find something that you enjoy doing to move your body? Maybe you just go for a walk. Maybe you do like some gentle yoga on a mat, just showing Maybe up. Maybe you do the monkey bars at the park. Yeah, right? Totally. Swing Have on those bars. the monkey bars recently? It's like really hard, actually. It's so hard. Dude, they were so easy for so me as a hard. kid. I can't, do, <laughs> really I can't even swing from one ring to the next, like at all. And then yeah, my, I used my to be hurt. so good at it. It's crazy how things change. Right. Because when you were little, you were doing it because it was fun. Like, as you just said, Casey, you did it because you got enjoyment out of it. You could probably play on the playground for hours because you were just enjoying the experience of moving in your body. And today, you know, diet culture, again, also unconditioned reinforcer activity. activity. Yeah. <laughs> like if you make something a chore, if you make something, if you take the joy out of it, you're not going to want to do it. So if you absolutely hate doing CrossFit, but you think you should because it's trendy and everyone's doing it, you're not, it's going to feel like a punishment. But if you decide that you just like biking outside and that's just your exercise and it makes you feel strong and empowered in your body and you love being outside, just do that. And you never have to actually do CrossFit again. And I guarantee you, you will show up to that bike ride way more frequently than you would to that CrossFit class. Someone asked me on my Instagram, um, or on actually behavior bitches Instagram. Cause I did the November motivate and move challenge. Cause I really, I find actual joy in moving my body. Like I know that when I go to the gym and work out, lift weights, do things, I actually feel 
a hundred times better. My anxiety is a hundred times better. Um, it's not. So I, when they said, well, what's your, how do you find motivation? And I'm like, it's more that I really just enjoy this. I'm not like having to look outside of myself to find the motivation. The motivation is actually within me because of the way it makes me feel right. The consequences that come after it, um, during it also, like, I don't look at it as, Oh, I have to go to the gym. I look at it as like, this is my time to show up for me. Um, and knowing that it's, probably benefiting my body, like not even physically of how I look, but like internally, like my heart muscle, you know, like things like that. It's so much more than just, oh, I'm doing 50 squats and losing weight and my butt looks better. It's like, what about your internal organs? Your, you know, everything that you don't really think about when you're thinking of, oh, I have to go to the gym. Absolutely. Like there, there are so many positive benefits that we get from moving our bodies and the second you make exercise about either a punishment for something you ate or simply for the pursuit of weight loss, it just takes the fun away. And if we just remove that from the equation and treated exercise as a celebration of what your body can do and a celebration of having the ability to even move your body, which is also just a privilege in and of itself, how oh, yes. would that shift your relationship to movement? Like, what would you do differently? Um, you know, I also see people thinking like we live in like the no pain, no gain culture, right? Where it's like people think that you need to feel depleted and exhausted and like you can't move after Hashtag orange theory. Yeah, right? Like, okay, calling them out. But it's true. It's like who made that rule? Like why can't exercise be something that energizes me and that I like just enjoy but then I can have enough energy for the rest of my day? So maybe I don't go This is empowering me. This is yes. empowering me because I feel guilty all the time that I don't like yoga, okay? Like, I always feel guilty. People are like, it's so good for your your lupus, this and that, blah, 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 like yoga, like for your breathing and, and like all this stuff. And I like feel bad about it, but I really don't enjoy it. Like, my natural movement I want to do are things that are fast, like boxing or, you know, or – I mean, I can't do it as well as I used to, like with my health things, but I just effing hate it. Like, I really don't enjoy yoga. I'm so bored. There's 5 million other things I would rather be doing. And I am just going to tell myself, Leah, get the F over it. You do not need to feel bad. Maybe that's not your workout. Right. And so I would say for you, Leah, like it's going to be so – you're not doing your body that much good if you go to a yoga class and are miserable and bored and stressed out the whole time because – your mind and your body are connected. You can't really like outsmart your body in the way that you think you can. Um, I would just encourage you to find the movement that you do enjoy and just do that. And, and you don't have to do the thing that you just think is good for you if you hate it the whole time, right? Like find the things that do make you feel good and you're much more likely to do those more frequently. Do you also think on the flip side, and I'm just going to yeah. <laughs> play devil's advocate here, yeah doing things that make you uncomfortable is you avoid them because they might be good for you. So like I, I love yoga. Um, I also tend to not go to yoga when I have shit going on in my life that I don't want to face. Like I know when I go to yoga, I'm going to have to like sit with myself and mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, and then I will instead when I'm, you know, experiencing more stress or whatever, I might fill my time with other things or, you know, in a cycle class where they're yelling at you, like, get it. You're so great. Kick ass versus in yoga where it's like, you're going to breathe. Maybe. 
you're going to breathe here in this like pose for five, you know, deep breaths. And like, maybe that's it. I, I mean, I know I don't make time for things. Like when my Apple watch goes off and tells me to breathe, I'm like, do you think I have three seconds to breathe right now? Fuck you. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like that, which is pathetic. Like, I mean, that is also pathetic. You that know, is there, like, there's a difference between pushing yourself and getting out of your comfort zone and forcing yourself into something that's just not meant to be. Mm-hmm. So I do believe it's up to the person to push themselves in a way where it still feels like overall there's a positive benefit here, right? Because sometimes exercise does push us and it you mm-hmm. don't always feel great and you should push yourself. But if you – I truly think if you are tuned into yourself in a, in a profound way, you can tell what's an exercise that is like comfortably pushing you to be better and stronger – and something that's actually just going to hurt you or is just not right for your body. So again, it's up for each person to decide what what that is. I love that. I really love that. This has but been Casey, so you're right. Yeah, maybe maybe I don't like to, to sit with myself. I'm not sure. Like I that is another interesting point which I don't have to get into on the podcast, but I do think like when I am understimulated, I think about my health issues more. Like that is something I've noticed. Like for example, like on Shabbat, when I like can't use the phone, electricity, talk to people, do this, whatever it is, like I start like feeling my ailments or like all the ways that my lupus or scleroderma affects me. Whereas like when I'm distracted and busy, I don't think about it. Well, this was so insightful. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so nice to see you also. I mean, even though it's virtual. I know, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm so glad you all enjoyed it. And it's it's super interesting for me to hear about the connections with behavior um, because I do think there's like a primal element to intuitive eating that is hard to understand cognitively. But if you if you attach these behavior principles, it makes a lot more sense. The whole world makes sense with behavior, yeah. Do you want to be I, a I actually BA? learned a lot about that through living with Liat as well. I, I think I became an apprentice. She did. I would talk about behavior all day. Huh? She'd be like, did I reinforce this? Did I reinforce it, Leah? I mean, yeah. And I would know when she was trying to pull her behavior tactics on me, too. She was not as sneaky as she thought. Ooh, I like the the call out. It was so great having you on today. I think a lot of people are going to benefit from this podcast because, you know, especially coming up around the holidays, and you just like, it's all this indulgence, 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 and social eating and all this stuff. And so really just taking a second to just think about what your body wants is so important. So we appreciate your intelligent insight and your um, amazing energy. Thank you all both so much. I, I appreciate being able to talk about this with you all and put it in a new perspective. And I'm so glad it was insightful and that you learned and I learned too. Well, look at that. Win-win, baby. Win-win. Yeah. Anyways, guys, thanks for tuning in. Go find us. And as always, love you. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Yael. I just wanted to let you know about my holiday empowerment group. It's my group coaching program that will start the week before New Year's and continue throughout January. And it's an alternative for people who want to escape the pervasive diet culture messaging and leave the New Year's weight resolutions behind and instead focus on your true health and becoming a more intuitive eater. So you'll receive 
10 deep learning videos from me that I'll send out weekly, um, each focusing on a different principle of intuitive eating, how to break down and understand the principles and actually start living them. You'll also receive guided somatic meditations that allow you to understand the principles in an embodied way and not just cognitively. You'll also receive reflective questions that allow for deeper introspection that you can translate these principles into your own life. So we also will meet every other week as a group to empower and support each other through a time that can be really stressful and difficult if you're working towards a more enjoyable and peaceful relationship with food. Know that there's another way and we're here for you. If you would love to join us, I'd love to have you. You can head to my website, empoweredpalette.com, and find out about the holiday empowerment group there. Thanks so much. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard, because guess what? We don't know shit with that, but we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who help us get started. He records our shows, he posts them, he adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him and he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. 